Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. When was the last time you changed your mind about something? And something big, not uh, what dinner restaurant you wanted to go out to, but uh, something big, something in which you previously had a different view. And then over time, you heard arguments, maybe you heard the argument that made you change your mind. And now you think differently about that thing. I want to give you an example of a big one that we've experienced throughout history. And uh, to illustrate this, I want to invite participation at all of our hundreds of campuses across the country, uh, wherever you're at. I want you to raise a hand if right now you believe that the earth is round. Go ahead, throw a hand up at the air, in the air. I don't know what it looks like at your campus, but at mine, there's not many of us here, but I see some hands in the air. And we believe here, at least, the earth is round. Now, some of you may have been convinced otherwise by a recent Netflix documentary, and that's okay. If you believe the earth is flat, you are welcome here. We love you too. Um, I personally, I've been watching a bit of Netflix in quarantine season, And I saw the documentary on the whole flat earth theory. I personally didn't buy into it. I did see the documentary on the idea that we faked the moon landing. I was pretty intrigued by that argument personally, again. uh, But in my opinion, I believe that the earth is round. And I would suggest most of us, maybe all of us, believe that as well. However, historically, this was a shift. There was a point that we as humans, we were confident, we were sure that the earth was flat. Do you have opinions today, right now, that have been changed throughout time? Do you have opinions right now that have changed recently? And the question I really want to ask this morning is what are you sure about when it comes to Jesus? You know, what are you so convinced of that even if you were provided plenty of evidence to the contrary, you would still go on believing it. You wouldn't be convinced otherwise. You know, you would go on thinking the earth is flat while everyone else around you thinks differently. Well, my name is Bob and I'm one of the pastors here at Abundant Life Church. And today we are continuing in our series going through the gospel of John. And the title for my message today is The Bread of Life. And we're gonna read about this in John chapter six. So if you have a Bible with you, whether it's digital or analog, go ahead and grab that, turn it to John six. Now, so far in John six, we've seen Jesus perform two different miracles. First, we saw him feed over 5,000 people with just a couple loaves of bread. And then last week, Pastor Jeremy talked about Jesus walking on water in the midst of a storm. Now, I'd like to suggest that those two miracles are actually part of a literary technique called a sandwich. Um, In a fancy way, it's known as interpretive intercalation. The writer of Mark 
the gospel of Mark, he uses this technique so often that it's often referred to in the biblical studies community as Markin sandwiches. And what he does is he will begin a story, let's call it story A. He starts story A and before he finishes it, story A gets interrupted by story B. And then after story B is complete, he returns to story A. You see the A-B-A, the uh, sandwich literary technique. And what we find in this technique is that the interruption actually is very important. Often it's the interruption that allows us to glean even more from the story itself. I think there's a wonderful aside there about just daily life and sometimes it gets interrupted and how God can move in those interruptions, even though we're often uh, uncomfortable and dismissive of the interruptions. But what we see in the interruptions in this literary technique of sandwiches is that the interruption gives us more depth, more insight into the original story. In fact, we wouldn't know as much, we wouldn't go as deep if we didn't have the interruption. Now, if we make this connection, we're gonna see some new things. Story A here in John 6, the first half, is that Jesus miraculously feeds over 5,000 people. It's a large crowd and he meets their needs with bread. And then that story, I would argue, gets interrupted by story B, what we looked at last week, where Jesus shows up to his disciples, small crowd, and he meets them miraculously on the water in the midst of the storm. And now we're going to get to today's story, which is again, Jesus meeting the needs of a large crowd and again with bread. We're gonna pick up the story in John 6, 25 through 26. It says, they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Now this was the previous day, Jesus feeding these over 5,000 people. This literally just happened. Now it might not feel like that to us because it was two months ago that Pastor Jeremy taught on that passage before we took a break from the Gospel of John. And I don't know about you, but to me that feels a little bit like it was about two years ago, thanks to quarantine season. Uh, but no, this was the previous day. This just happened. Jesus just fed this large crowd. And now he is calling into question their motives for following him. You know, they have looked for him, they have searched for him, now they've found him, and Jesus questions their motives on why they've been searching for him this entire time. He says, you follow me because you were fed, not because you understand who I am, what these signs actually mean. Now, regardless of why they're following him, there is no doubt that this is the crowd who just was fed by Jesus the day before. He says, you want to be with me because I fed you. So it's clear he is talking to the crowd that he has just fed. And that's gonna be important in just a moment. We'll keep reading in John 6, 27 through 29. Jesus says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Instead, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of approval. 
They replied, well, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one that he has sent. Now, it seems like they're tracking with Jesus at this point, especially considering we're about to find out they're pretty hungry, Uh, but they're tracking with Jesus. And the first thing he says is don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. I think some of us in our recent season uh, need to hear that. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Have any of us freaked out recently and tried to stockpile a bunch of food in recent months? I want to call out those of you who are stockpiling ramen noodles. It is my favorite snack. It's been my favorite snack since I was 10 years old. One of the first things I learned how to cook, boiling water over the stove. I was very proud of myself and to this day, I love ramen noodles and I cannot find them anywhere. Everyone's sold out. Please do not be so concerned about perishable things like food, especially ramen noodles. But it seems here they are listening. They are tracking with this conversation and they ask a phenomenal question. They say, what do we do? You know, they're hearing Jesus talk about the works of God. He says, don't be so concerned about these things, but instead be concerned about the works of God. And they say, yes, we want to do that. Jesus, what do we do? And Jesus replies, believe in the one that God sent. It's that simple. And it's clear the crowd knows Jesus is referring to himself as the one that God has sent based on the way they respond in verse 30. They answered him, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe that you are the one that God sent. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread to eat. Now, again, this is an amusing question when we realize that this is the same crowd that just was miraculously fed by Jesus. They're saying, what are you gonna do to make us believe that you are sent by God? Spoiler alert, they just experienced it the day before. So either they forgot what Jesus has just done the day before, or I would argue much more likely, they simply want him to do more. And they cannot get past using Jesus for personal gain. It's the motives that Jesus called out in the first place. He knows why they're following him, why they're there. And here in this moment, they want him to do more. And so they ask him, why don't you rain bread down from the heavens just like Moses did? And they introduce a new character right there into the story. It's now shifting to this guy named Moses. They say, Jesus, you want us to believe that you are sent by God. Okay, that's great. You have to do what Moses did and then we'll believe you. Now it's important to understand Moses was a hero to this culture. He's obviously someone they very much believed to have been sent by God. He's a central figure of the Old Testament, central figure of the Jewish religion. In fact, I don't think it's a stretch to say that their faith in God was built upon the work of the prophet Moses. And this is a truth that they have believed for centuries. This is a truth that is very deep into who they are as a culture. The example of someone sent by God looks like 
Moses. And so they say to Jesus, you want us to believe you? Do what he did. And now Jesus is going to challenge their very core essential belief in verse 32. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. He says, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. What we see here is Jesus is beginning to redirect the people from Moses, the person that they brought into the conversation, and now he's directing them back to God. Actually, you believe it was Moses who sent bread down from heaven. It wasn't. It was my father. Now, the purpose of John's gospel, we've talked about a lot in this series, is to point people to Jesus, not to Moses. And it seems Jesus is doing just that. He is pointing people now to himself. And the second purpose of John's gospel, he is encouraging us to find life in him. And while it seems like they've had a heart change here, it seems like they say to Jesus in response, yes, yes, give us the bread. We want that bread always. I would suggest their motives are still off. I think they're turning to one another here and they're saying, hey, hey, he's going to do the bread thing again. He he said he's going to do it. They just want more food. And I think that's why they're going to be disappointed with what Jesus says next in verse 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. The bread that he's been talking about coming down from heaven and giving life. He says, he is that bread. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, a while back, we did a series called Pixelated, where we looked at Old Testament stories, and we looked at how they ultimately pointed to Jesus. And this clearly is an Old Testament story, again, that this crowd brought up that Jesus uses to point to himself. The bread that fell from the heavens long ago that provided for a basic need for one nation pointed towards this moment. How Jesus, this bread from heaven will provide for the deepest needs and it will be for all of creation. And now the crowd that has gathered and is listening to Jesus, they are confronted with a choice. There is a a fork in the road of belief here And whichever way they choose is going to have consequences. Will they shift in their thinking? Now, remember, this is a crowd that is part of a culture that has believed something to be true, very true for a very long time. Will they continue in that thinking or will they recenter their faith around the teaching of this man in front of them, this Jesus that claims he can offer life? What I think we see here is something that I've certainly found to be true in my walk with Jesus. And it's that Jesus consistently, consistently challenges us to change our perspective, to shift it. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, I'm sure that you've experienced this in many ways. You likely think differently right now than you did before you started following Jesus. There are likely numbers of ways that you think differently now. And, and I, would, I would hope 
And I'm sure that Jesus is continually challenging your perspective. And I think our reaction to those moments, when we feel like what we believe is being challenged by Jesus, the way we react is so crucial. You know, will we refuse to accept it? Will we just say, no, we'll be scared by it or for whatever reason, reject it and simply think about things the way that we've always thought about them? Or will we embrace something called spiritual curiosity? Will we wonder what if that is true? What if I do have this wrong? Jen Hatmaker, uh, she has an incredible quote. I just want to read this over you where she talks about spiritual curiosity. She says, my hope for this generation is that we embrace spiritual curiosity, that we would examine systems and doctrines that oppress and consider perhaps it's not God that has it wrong, it's us. She says, I'm no longer interested in questions like what are the rules What is the line? Who is in and who is out? Who is right and who is wrong? How do we simply maintain what is? Instead, she says, I am far more captivated by those of you asking, where is life? What does a vibrant faith system look like? What feels and sounds and looks like actual good news? Where is there more joy and less fear? What is kind? What is generous? What looks and feels like Jesus? And I love this question. She says, where are people coming back to life and coming back to God? Jesus here in this moment, he is offering this crowd the best news possible. They were satisfied by bread that filled them up for a day. And now in this moment, he is offering them bread that leads to life. It is generous. It provides joy. It provides peace in the midst of uncertainty. And yet according to John, and we'll look at this more next week, John says many of the crowd before Jesus is going to miss out on it because it so greatly challenged the truths in which they were already convinced and they couldn't get past it. Now I'm gonna read the rest of the passage. It's a little bit long, but as I read it, I simply want you to notice one thing. Jesus is going to challenge them to change their perspective. He's going to continue establishing this argument that not only is he as good as Moses, but in fact, he's far greater. Pick it up in verse 36. Jesus says, you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my father's will that all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. I mean, you see the unity here between Jesus and the father. You know, the, he's doing the will of God who sent him. He knows the will of God and he's claiming he is the son and believe in me and eternal life. He is saying he is greater than Moses. What he is doing far surpasses that which Moses did. Pick it up, 41. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement 
because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, who we know his father, we know his mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? You see, they aren't believing because it's a disruption in the belief they already have. You know, in this moment, they know two things very well. They know Moses. Culturally, they have believed in Moses for a long time. Again, a hero to this community. And they also know Jesus. They say they know his mom. They know his dad. They know where he came from. How can he say he's come down from heaven? And it's these two beliefs that they already have that are now standing in the way of them experiencing Jesus. So Jesus replies to them. He says, stop complaining about what I said. You know, we see complaining and grumbling and and murmuring. And I think it's a side effect of Jesus trying to change people's perspective. And the response is to complain. And so he says, stop complaining. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Who's teaching them now? Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, only I who is sent from God have seen him. Jesus says, I'm the only one who's seen God. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I I don't think Jesus here is dismissing Moses. Uh, I don't think he's diminishing what Moses has done. He tells them flat out, your ancestors, they did eat manna in the wilderness. Yes, it happened. Moses was a part of it. It was miraculous. But he says, and if you're uh, writing in your Bible, I would encourage you to circle the phrase, but they died. You see, what happened in the Old Testament was uh, simply pointing towards what would come, towards the ultimate fulfillment of it, which is found in Jesus. And he's sharing that with them in this moment. Whoever eats this bread will have life. You know, it reminds me of something that Pastor Greg Boyd once said. He came out and visited Abundant Life and uh, he got to share with, uh, with everybody on the weekend and had a moment with our, our staff and some of our volunteers. And, and in that, he said something that I wrote down in the moment and I, I found myself reflecting on it quite a bit since he said it. He said, to whatever degree we aren't finding our life in Christ, we will look for it somewhere else. And to me, I've thought about that so much. And I've thought about that a lot in reverse. I've kind of flipped it. And I think about it uh, to whatever degree I am trying to find life in fill in the blank, whatever it is, I'm not finding my life in Christ. And this week I was thinking about that and reflecting on it. I actually wrote down four things that I find myself trying to find life in, often to my disappointment. And maybe you'll identify with some of these things, uh, but I would challenge you to think about that for you. What is it that you try to find life in outside of Jesus? For me, uh, I wrote down achievement. 
You know, I am a, a number three on the Enneagram. If you don't know, Enneagram is a, a sort of personality profile. My wife and I have been fascinated by it. We've uh, grown to learn more about ourselves in it and each other. It's been awesome, but I am a three on the Enneagram. Uh, shout out to all my threes out there. And the nickname of the three is Achiever. And I have found this to be true of me that I, I find life in achievement. You know, if I can look back on the day before I go to bed and feel good about what I've accomplished, you know, I love checklists. And if I can check off enough boxes, I feel good. You know, I can find life in that. You know, for me, it's financial security. I love spreadsheets. You know, I get to work with our Happy Valley campus pastor, Aaron Walton, pretty often. And, and anytime he brings something to me, like a project that we're gonna work on, my initial reaction is, we're gonna make a spreadsheet, we're gonna color code it, it's gonna look fantastic. I love spreadsheets, I love numbers, I love budgeting. And to me, if at the end of the day, I can look at our budget as a family and, and everything makes sense, the numbers look good, I can find life in that. You know, it's social status. How am I viewed by others? Is it positive? You know, how are my friend groups doing and how are my relationships doing? And if they're good, well, I can find life in that. Lastly, I came up with physical health, which I, I think is a new one for me in this season of pandemic. If at the end of the day, I'm feeling physically healthy, I, I find myself finding life in that. And the reality is this, if at the end of the day, I can take a deep breath and feel good and feel like everything is gonna be okay because of any one of these things. I have conditional life. I have life where tomorrow I'm still gonna be hungry. But Greg Boyd says, whatever degree I can find life in Christ, that's the degree to which I am no longer reliant on my circumstances to be satisfied. That is what Jesus is offering to this crowd and in this moment. And it goes against much of what they already believe. And, and I wanna give an invitation to those of you who have never followed Jesus, have never found life in Jesus. You know, maybe you've been exploring Jesus for some time. Maybe you're brand new to a church experience. Uh, maybe you know a lot, but you have questions. I think this pursuit and what Jesus is offering in this moment is simply a follow me. And so I wanna invite you, I think it's that simple. If you just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to know what it looks like to find life in you. And I would challenge you, you know, Jesus is constantly challenging us to shift our perspective. I'd want you to be prepared for that. And Jesus is going to challenge us when we follow him, like he's challenging this crowd right here, but that is the offer. He says, come to me and you will have life. Now we're gonna celebrate that life that we have in Jesus together as we finish our service. We're gonna do that with communion. And so I wanna invite you to get whatever communion elements you have available in your home. If you have the typical bread and juice, that's amazing, you can get that. If you've got chips and soda or water, that's okay too, I want you to get that. It's more about what the elements represent than the elements themselves. And the elements represent this, the bread is symbolic of Christ's body given for us. And the juice is representing Christ's blood poured out for us. 
And that's what we're gonna remember. Jesus, the bread of life, his love poured out on us in this moment. And so as the band closes with one final song, I wanna invite you to take those elements at any point during this final song and together, may we reflect on the ways we are attempting to find life outside of Jesus and may we recenter ourselves on him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your abundant patience with this crowd in John. And Jesus, I thank you that you are patient with us as well and that you consistently give us more. I think you could have walked away from this conversation at any point, yet you kept going, you kept instilling truth and the offer of life remains. It remained constant and it remains this day right now. God, I pray for those who have never found life in you, those who have never been deeply satisfied by you. God, may you stir their heart toward Jesus, I pray. And God, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, may you challenge us on our perspectives and may you push back on the ways we are attempting to find life outside of your son. Only complete fulfillment will be found in him. So redirect us to him, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.